0: Morning, church. My name's Chad. I work with the next generation here, and I am just uh, stoked to have this chance to to share from God's word with you for a little bit. We're in a series, as Pastor Blake just said, uh, about the uh, being centered on Christ. And uh, last week, does anybody know what we talked about? Time, right? And you're, you're having deja vu, but this is time part two. Um, so uh, don't don't feel like, hey, I heard this last week. You know, there was just so much that Ernie. Um, Pastor Ernie asked me to to follow up with more stuff that that he felt like the church should know. So time management has been a a big interest of mine in uh, the past few months. Uh, You know, every year I try to make goals for the year, and uh, and one of my goals was to get better at time management. And um, on this journey, I've kind of learned that there really is no, no such thing as true time management. That you have energy management, choosing the direction that you're going to put your focus and energy towards in time, but you can't make more time. And so, you know, time is our most limited resource. Uh, money uh, might feel like it at times, but you know we can save money, we can bank up money, but you can't bank time. Makes sense. And so, as we're talking about this uh, time and and being centered on Him. Um, I think it's imperative that we understand uh, the way time goes. We have to be very intentional if we're going to spend it wisely. Parkinson's law basically is the adage uh, that says um, that uh, work expands to fill the time that is allotted for the task until completion. So so basically, Parkinson's law is saying that if you have a meeting scheduled for an hour, guess how long your meeting is going to go? an hour. And that maybe it really doesn't take that long, but that's what you scheduled. So the work will expand uh, to that time. If you have a 90 minute meeting, it'll go 90 minutes. And and so uh, understanding that our workload often is uh, determined by our schedule, uh, what we we see is that the schedules reveal a lot about us uh, or a lot to us. That when you look at your schedule, where is the majority of your time going? When you look at your schedule, what is it that you, you have in there that is non-negotiable, that you're going to make this happen? And, and, and there might be other things that you're not as in, um, intentional about, and that slipped through. When we look at doing this, um, if you were to pull out your calendar, what would you see as far as how much time have you scheduled to center your life on Christ? How much time have you scheduled for that? A lot of us, what we do is compartmentalize. We, we compartmentalize our lives and our time, in that we have a little time for this and a little time for that, and the two don't intertwine. But, but but that's that's wrong because here's what happens: on on Sunday we we compartmentalize our life where we give God His time on Sunday, right? And maybe in the rest of the week we'll say, yeah, He, he gets His time first, so we'll have you know fifteen minutes in the morning with Him. And then maybe at the end we say say prayers or something. But that's, that's it. We compartmentalize. So we think God is in a box almost of Sunday is his time and this time that I've scheduled for devotion is for him. But what we're talking about when we talk about centering our lives on Christ is he's not compartmentalized to just a little slot in our schedule, but rather the conversation goes on all day with God throughout the day. That's why it's been a game changer for so many that have done uh, uh, Pastor Ernie's challenge of setting a timer on your watch to go off every hour and that reminders for you to pray and center your life on him. That's been a game changer for so many of us and how we spend our time is, it is so critical that we realize it is a big deal. Uh, God wouldn't talk about it if it wasn't a big deal, but we trust he knows what's best for us. And so Ephesians 5 Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 17. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is he's very clear that our time to make the best use of it we need to be wise and this is this is a challenge to realize that time has a cumulative value meaning that it adds up over time to make small small things can become big things make sense uh with cumulative time let's let's use an example of say you're on a diet and you're you're on a diet and you're you're uh man, you're struggling. You know? You're, you know you're supposed to eat salad, but let's say last night instead of salad, you said Big Macs and ice cream are what I'm going to have, right? That's my type of diet. When, if you chose Big Macs and ice cream over a salad last night, you come in here, everybody goes, oh, you didn't need a salad. No, no, no. Nobody even knows why. Because we, we, there's not a big drastic consequence for our choice. It, it's not you eat one Big Mac and one ice cream and instead of what you were supposed to. You know, it's not like your, 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 your clothes will be so tight and your um, scale will be moving in the wrong direction. It's not like one little decision like that makes a difference. But the cumulative value, Let's say you keep eating the Big Macs and ice cream instead of what you're supposed to. The cumulative value, you do that day in and day out, time after time. Guess what? Your clothes will get tight. Your scale will go in the wrong direction. And, 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 and that's just the, the, the how time works is that the small decisions that we make every day come out to form big realities. I, I learned this principle so hard uh, the hard way. Uh, back in high school, uh, I was on the football team and... And football was a big deal where they did conditioning year-round. So even in the winter and spring, we were still hitting it. We weren't playing football, but we were conditioning. And, uh, I mean, this just kind of, this is horrible. And if Coach Simon, if you by some chance are watching this, please just tune out for right now. Coach Simon coached football and track. And he had a deal for football players that if you were on the track team, you got out of some of the conditioning. So of course, I signed up for track. Now I wasn't fast, I wasn't, wasn't athletic or anything like that, so I gotta be a distance runner. I just ran the mile, and it was slow. But I was out of conditioning, so I didn't care. I said, let's go. And coach wouldn't spend a lot of time with the distance runners, really just gave us a plan and expected us to do the workout. Uh, you know, he would spend more time with the, the sprinters and the, and the uh, people at a technical, like, you know, shot put and all. But, but, but distance runners, we were just given the plan, expected to do it. And so I didn't really follow the plan because I knew he wasn't paying attention. So I just ran a mile, and I was honest. I ran a mile. He said our plan called for three miles. I didn't do three miles. I only did one mile. The plan would call for sprints. I didn't do sprints. I, only, I ran a mile, and I checked out. I was done. All right, now at the beginning of the season, that was okay. I was pretty good. You know, I I don't know how, that sounds horrible. I could hold my own. I wasn't the slowest on the team is what I'm trying to say. But as as the track season's winding down and all I've done is run the mile after mile, one mile each day, uh, my time didn't really improve. But there was another guy named Carter. And Carter, man, he was slower than pond water. You know what I mean? That, That I could outrun him. But Carter, he was all about it, and he got after it. And Carter would, would uh, he would run the distances that he was supposed to, and he'd put in the effort that needed. And so towards the end of the season, one day we're supposed to do a time mile, and so I go out, and it's business as usual. And all of a sudden, I hear, I hear these, these feet, a runner's coming up from behind. We're in the last lap. I, 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 who has the audacity to try to catch me, right? It's Carter. I was floored. Carter was there. So, man, I, you know, my pride. I'm like, nope, I'm not going to lose to Carter. I'm not going to lose to Carter. And, and all of a sudden, it's like he kicked it in a whole nother gear and left me in his dust. And I, I, I was so blown away. But he had built over time. He had built the legs and the lungs that he needed to get faster and better. But over time, I just stayed the same because I slacked off. You see, that's how, how it works. Where are you investing your time and energy to grow? Because you're going to grow, but are you going to grow more like him or something or someone else? And so this wasn't, it wasn't intentional for me to to not get better. I just wanted out of conditioning, but I feel how many of us do the same with our spiritual life, that we're not intentional about it? Where are you cutting corners? in your walk with Christ? Or is your life truly centered on Him? Continual conversation throughout the day with Him. When, when we cut corners, we, we get the consequences, but they come later. And, and that's why this, this one-minute timer, it's been a big game-changer for so many of us because let's say you spend 15 minutes in the morning with God, but that was it. Well, all of a sudden, if you've done this and you're up for 16 hours a day, guess what? You have doubled your time with the Lord. And over time, what you start seeing is what? You don't need the timer. That it's becoming the habit. Your mind is, is, is rewiring itself to think about him throughout the day and not just in one little block of time. It, 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 we're all big fans of Jesus here, right? And I, I wish we had time, but we do not, to, to go around and just hear from everyone. What is it that amazes you about Jesus? What is it that, that when you think of Jesus, you are blown away by? Is it his miracles? I think a lot of us would say, man, you know, seeing him heal the, the blind, the lame, seeing him uh, feed the crowds with nothing, you know? is it Seeing him walk on water, seeing him calm the storm, seeing him raise from the dead, all that, we're like, that is astounding, blown away by, by what Jesus does. But one thing that maybe you haven't thought about is, how Jesus used his time. It's, it's amazing to me all the demands that Jesus had on his life, on his, for his time, how he handled him, how he kept track of his purpose. I mean, if we could take just a look at one day in the life of Jesus, we'd be blown away. This guy, this guy was a busy guy. He really was. Um, now, now it, it's different than what maybe we focus today, but if we were to go just look at Mark 1 and you get an idea of what Jesus went through, man, he starts, he's teaching in the synagogue. This is how he's starting his day. He's, he's driving out unclean spirits. He, he goes to Peter's house and, and heals Peter's mother-in-law. And, and that night there's a knock on the door and, and the whole town shows up bringing their sick and wanting Jesus to heal them all. And I'm blown away that in all of this, Jesus never lost his cool. Jesus never lost perspective of anything, but rather he stayed true to his mission. And I'm blown, as imagine at the end of this day, you've just healed people, been teaching, driving out demons, performing miracles. At the end of this, in Mark 1, 35, shows us a key that after all this, all right, verse 35, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. After a busy day, Jesus still made it a priority to center his life with his Father. If Jesus has to do that, that, then how much more do we need to do that? Of of getting out when the time is best for you, the time where your, your distractions are minimal, when you can give your best time and focus to him. I, I remember teaching school. Man, it, it, it was it was it was kind of rough. But if you're a teacher, it's exhausting. At the end of the day, teachers, kudos to you. It, it is exhausting, and, and this is horrible. But but there were days where I, I was just I was spent, and and so at lunchtime I would turn out the lights and close my door, just so the students wouldn't think I was still in there because they always want to come and hang out, and 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 I know that's horrible, but. But I think Jesus didn't have that. Jesus didn't have a door he could hide behind when the crowds were getting too demanding. Jesus didn't, he didn't have a, a house, he didn't have an office, a bedroom. You know, he had no place to lay his head. But yet Jesus constantly did what was right. And in all of his time, he spent it correctly, staying focused not just on opportunities, but on his purpose. Because there were opportunities all day, every day for him. But yet Jesus knew. He would withdraw and pray to stay centered. And so, if we are going to live from Christ, we have to spend time with Christ. Jesus got so busy. I mean, in Mark 3, uh, uh, verse 20 and 21, then he went home and crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he's out of his mind. But uh, Jesus was so busy. This happens multiple times where he isn't even able to eat because of the crowds. And, and I, I love his family sees this. What? And they, you, you know, it's like if you had a mom like I did. That my mom always would make sure, hey, did you eat? Yet? Did you eat today? What'd you eat? You know, my, my moms might be hardwired that. I don't. I don't know. But 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 Jesus' family did the same thing. Of why you you, you you gotta eat, but Jesus. <laughs> His nourishment wasn't coming from bread off the table, but from the table of heaven. He is the bread of life. And when we, when we look at this, if we are going to live from Christ, then we have to spend time with Christ. Being busy might make us feel important but that's not necessarily the goal. Being busy to be busy is just not wise. And some of us, we have no margin right now in our schedule. Some of us are so busy, we're so stressed. Man, we're not even fun to be around some days because we, we aren't spending our time wisely. You see, this is where wisdom, being wise, doing what is wise, Ephesians 5, is making the most out of every opportunity. It is, it's so difficult. Because we know what we should do. We know what the wise thing is, but we don't always do it, right? I'm not trying to be mean here, but have you ever seen someone who is just book smart? I mean, they are an A student. They, in the classroom, they shine. But you're blown away. When they get out of the classroom and you're not talking about books anymore, they're not that smart. Okay, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm really, I'm really not. I'm just saying we're blown away because they excel so much, but they're just book smart. No street smart, nothing else, you know? All right. this, this is what wisdom is. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. You can know the book, but if you don't live the book, it's not doing you any good. Church, we need to be a church that we're not, we're not just Christians who, who are book smart and don't do anything. We're not Christians who just talk about the book on Sunday and that's it. No, the world needs to see the church living the book, living it out. Doing that requires wisdom. And so when we look at the application of all of this, it's imperative that we schedule time for God to pour life into us so that we can pour life into others. Darcy Everingham was sharing with me about a conversation she had with her friend this past week, um, th- th- where the friend was saying, you know, they were having a tough conversation one of those times where it's just not easy, and yet she hadn't spent the time preparing with God like she should have. And so Darcy's friend just said, yeah, you know, our, far- our, <laughs> our hearts need to overflow. I'm so sorry. <laughs> There's a reason I work with kids. All right, act like you didn't hear that. <laughs> we have to allow God to pour into us, so that our hearts can overflow into others. We have to pour light, have Him pouring life into us, so we'll, before we'll be any good to anyone around us. And those tough conversations especially show the times when our hearts are not full and are not overflowing to others and sharing God like we want and desire for it too, And so we have to schedule this time because here's the big idea. If you only walk away with one thing today, I hope it's this, that the best use of my time is to give God my time for his use. The best use of my time is to give God my time for his use. And my time should be in parentheses because whose time is it really? It's his We're just, we're entrusted with this. And so what we do with it um, matters because he's given it to us to use for him. Uh, John 15 is so clear that, you know, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. That we can do nothing that will bring eternal glory or significance unless we are connected to him. Some of us are going through a hard time right now. And some really need to hear this. That God will always give us a time of preparation before he puts us in our calling. I, I, you see it over and over again. I mean, Jesus, the first 30 years of his life were pretty much silence, right? But we know he was growing in wisdom and in and, and favor with men and stature. We, he was growing in that time. God was preparing him. And remember, when Jesus stepped on the scene, he gets baptized, his ministry's ready to start. What, what's he do? The Spirit leads him to the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days, more preparation time. You see, God always uses a time of preparation before he uses. And, and, and I would say the longer the preparation is either our unwillingness to get in, pay, in sync with him or it's a bigger work that he's calling us to do. And so that time of preparation, if you're in that, don't lose hope. I mean, look at Moses. Moses spent 40 years, years before, uh, in, in the wilderness before he confronted Pharaoh. Paul spent considerable time in the desert before he became you know, Apostle Paul, that God will use a season of preparation to get us in line with him so that when we are called into the spotlight, anybody that's a somebody for him has to be prepared. And that personal time of preparation, of allowing God to speak to us and in us and through us, it is so important because without it, we're walking in our own strength. The, the, the time of personal preparation with him is where our power comes from. And so some right now, you know that, that God's given you a big vision and a calling on your life, and you're wanting to do everything you can for him, but it seems like he's not opening the door. All right, well, well maybe it's a season of preparation that he has you in. Don't get discouraged. God wastes Nothing. He wastes nothing. So if you're in a time of preparation, understand that this isn't all there is. He's got so much more. But we have to be continually centering our lives on Christ so that we will use our time in the way that we give God use of our time. And don't lose hope. That, you know, this is Philippians 1.6. If you're in a time of preparation, I hope you, you hear this. Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Man, God hasn't quit on you. God hasn't stopped working. God is moving. And so Ephesians 5 makes, gives us the, the, the idea that we have to spend our time in a wise way, that we need to make the best use of our time. But he even gives us a reason for it in Ephesians 5, 16. That make the best use of time. Why? Because the days are evil. The days are evil. That's, I I like how the King James, maybe this is how I approach, King James uh, version will will say redeeming the time. And, And I like that because what's he talking about? When you look at the redeeming the time, it's, It's not like buying it back, repurchasing something, you know, redeeming like that. No, you can't buy time back. Redeeming the time, it's saying you change the purpose, you repurpose the time. Because the days are evil, you need to intentionally repurpose the time for redemptive purposes, where we are putting the purpose of our time towards him and what he's doing and his work. Because... this is how life works. The days are evil. Things don't just naturally go the way they should. We have to be intentional. And anything worthwhile requires time. One of my favorite holidays is Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. That that To me, that's just amazing. My wife can cook. Megan is amazing. She puts a spread out on Thanksgiving that is... It, it, it'll change your life, man. <laughs> I'm proof. That... that, that she doesn't just throw it together, though, real quick on, on Thanksgiving Day, on Thursday. No, she starts days before working on this. And, and, and then we eat it, and that's it, right? But no, we're, we're, we're blown away by how good it is because she spent the time to make it good. Any relationship, anything you're trying to achieve, anything that you're focusing on, if it's worthwhile, then you've got to invest the time. So why would we give God less than what we would offer anyone else? See, because the days are evil, our lives aren't going to just naturally drift towards holiness. We're not just going to naturally love our enemies and pray for those that hurt us. We're not just going to, to bear fruit of the Spirit by accident. No, we, we've got to be intentional about giving our life and, and living in submission to Him. You know, you don't, things just don't naturally go the right way. But through intentional time with Christ, we find that he does his work in us and changes everything. So many of us, we want to change the world. We want to see God be glorified. And we want to do more, but we look at our schedules and the enemy convinces us, well, Oh, we just don't have the time. I don't have the time to serve in this ministry. I want to be a part of it. I want the best, but I don't have time. I don't have time. We, have, we, we buy into this lie. <clears throat> and then we even go as far as to where we complain about being so busy. I was convicted about this. And I, and I had to repent that I was complaining about being so busy That there are several things that I'm trying to accomplish, good things, but but I would complain about it, and I had to repent. I know some of you might be thinking, "All right, Chad, you're you're overselling this a little bit. Repenting about complaining about your time—that's really what you're convicted about?" Yes, and and it's not because of me. It's because of what God says in Philippians chapter two, in Philippians chapter two, verse fourteen. It says do all things, say that, all things. All right, so that's everything. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. How many of you wish you'd not come today right now, right? <laughs> no matter what you're doing, stop complaining. Don't complain about being too busy. Don't complain about not having the time. It doesn't do anything good, and we can see it's exactly the opposite of what God wants for us. That we complain about being too busy, it, it doesn't do anything to make the gospel more attractive. You know, I've never heard anyone say, oh, I hung out with Fred last night, and it was just the best time I listened to that dude complain. Woo, that guy's good at grumbling, you know? Or, oh, Maude, she, who, it's like a spiritual gift when she just gripes, it's amazing, uh, guys, no, no, it's, not, it's a turnoff. Nobody really, it, it doesn't do any good. Rory Vaden, uh, author and speaker, he was at GLS last year, uh, um, he, he, he studied executives, looking at time, and, and Rory would complain about how busy his schedule was, and, and then he started looking at these executives, and he saw, man, they were busy. He wasn't as busy as they were, so it kind of stopped the complaining. That, that he said the average executive would get over 116 emails per day, but he noticed the executives never complained about being busy. And so as he talked with them about this, he learned that, that the executives didn't complain about being busy because they knew it would do no good. Instead, they steered clear of the victim mentality, took responsibility for their schedule, and got things done. Church, if if business executives get this, then how much more should God's people get this? Complaining about our time or lack of does us no good. We all have the same amount of time. We all, uh, some of us have no margin whatsoever that you are stressed out to the max because you have literally no time. That's not necessarily wise. I'm blown away because my definition of busy might be different than yours, that we all know people who are busy, right? And it's amazing. You know, I've got a friend who was complaining about being being busy because, you know, what he is going through, he just, uh, he went horseback riding and, you know, started telling me about his. I'm like, how are you busy if you got time to do all this? You know, it's like I thought I was busy when Megan and I got married. We were both working and all. But then we had a kid, and then we had two kids. It's not just addition, it's multiplication there. And some of you are like, free kids, man, I got 12. You know, that, that definition of busy changes is subject. But, but it's imperative that we realize, all right, no matter what we have on our plate, if you're the king, the ruler of the country, you've got the same amount of time as everyone else right now, 24 hours a day to do what you can for him. So let me challenge you to make everything worship, because we can't spend all of our time doing things that are of huge, importance, significance for eternity. No, there are th- some things that need done just because they need done. But do you see, you, instead of compartmentalizing, make it to where all your day is a conversation with him. Hear me on this. This is a game changer, okay, where, where what you're doing, the task at hand, isn't necessarily just what you're doing. Everything becomes worship. What it looks like is I start say doing the dishes. I don't shut my conversation off with God but rather as I'm cleaning the dishes I think man in the same way God has washed away my sin. You're sewing a patch on on, on your jeans. You're not just sewing a patch. You're, you're thinking man this is God mends our lives together in the same way. You're taking out the trash and you you don't just think, I'm taking out the trash. No, you think, man, God, thank you for, for taking out the sin of my life, you, that you are removing the garbage, and that you love me so much that you don't just leave me like I am. Do You understand, everything and anything can become worship to where our conversation is going up with him, and not just focusing on the task at hand. Robertson McQuilkin is former president of Columbia International University. His father was um, the Columbia University's first president. He met his wife, Muriel, when they were both students there. During their 55-year marriage, they raised six children and served for 12 years as missionaries in Japan. Both eventually worked at the university, and Muriel taught while McQuilkin became president in 1968. Under his leadership, the university doubled and radio stations were founded. The school, um, the school just was going through dramatic growth. Good things were happening under his leadership. But their love story went national when Muriel, his wife, developed Alzheimer's disease, and was eventually she was just terrified to be without Robertson. Some of his friends had advised him just to put her in an institution so he could continue doing the work at the university. But he chose, instead of putting her away, he chose to leave Columbia eight years short of retirement so that he could care for her. And this is how he explained his decision. I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions, but one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one, because circumstances dictated it. When the time came, the decision was firm. It took no great calculation. It was a matter of integrity. Had I not promised 42 years before, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. This was no grim duty to which I stoically resigned. However, it was only fair. She, after all, had cared for me for almost four decades with marvelous devotion. Now it was my turn. And such a partner she was. If I took care of her for 40 years, I would never be out of her debt. Guys, I was blown away by his story and that his decision was easy and it was firm. While he had people advising him to keep working, I mean, he was doing good things. He stepped down for his wife because he saw it as a matter of integrity, that he was to love as Christ loved the church. This is a guy who got it. Had he not made this decision, I wouldn't be talking about him this morning. You you know, if he hadn't made that decision, we, we wouldn't talk about this. But God gave him a bigger platform because of his faithfulness to be a man of God. Do you see? In the decision to step down, step away, you think his impact would be smaller, but it became bigger because of what God did. You see, here's the message. We're never going to be good enough to get into heaven. We're never going to work enough to where God says, oh, I need you in heaven now. No, we are saved by grace. And that grace is not without effect, that it has changed us. And so this week, as you focus on your time with him, as you make it a priority, I I, I want to challenge you to, to focus on your reflection, connection, projection. Spend the time with Him where, where you allow God to really be your center in all things. And that when you focus on the reflection, the connection, and the projection, it leads to expression. To where what God has done in you in that personal, private time is going to be seen because it has to be expressed. You're different. Let's pray. Father, we we love you so much, how good you are to us. We're blown away by your, your faithfulness, your love, your grace. And God, we, we realize there are so many times that we don't do the wise thing, that we don't live the way we should. And so, Father, we ask that your spirit would convict us, that you would point out any area that we need to surrender, that you, Father, would be honored and glorified by everything that we say and do, that at the end of today and the end of every day of our lives, we would hear you say, well done. It's for your glory, Father, in Jesus' name. Everyone who agrees says,